So today we're talking about being a good Samaritan, helping those that, um, that need our help. You say, well, who is my neighbor? Who is the person that needs help? It's anyone that God puts in your path. What's so amazing about that story to me about D'Agostino is she, was not, she didn't do anything wrong. She was just running the race, and the lady uh, Hamblin in front of her fell and tripped her. And I don't think they shared this in the video, but she actually tore her ACL and her meniscus. And she ran another mile around the track, and that's, that's what you saw. But it was really neat that the Olympic Committee in the 2016 Olympics awarded both of those ladies the Fair Play Award because they both stopped, if you saw it, they both stopped and tried to help one another across the finish line. Two days later, uh, August the 18th, she appeared on the Today Show, and they asked her, they said, how in the world, D'Agostino, could you do that? I mean, the lady basically tripped you, you tore your ACL, and you turned around to help her to make sure she was okay. And this is what she said. She said, it was the spirit of the living God in me that helped me to do that. It, it's good to keep in mind, too, that um, D'Agostino is a devout, born-again follower of Christ, and she's unashamed, and so she was, a, in that situation especially, a good Samaritan. That's what we're talking about today. You say, well, where do you get such an idea of being a good Samaritan? Well, it's, I think it's, it's, if it's not the most popular parable Jesus ever told, then it's right up there with the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. And so that's our text today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up on your phone or the hard copy there before you. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 25 through uh, 37 as we continue our series of messages on preaching on some of the famous artworks or paintings. Uh, before I get into the text, though, let me just say a, just a hearty thank you so much for our church family giving so incredibly uh, and just so generous in our harvest offering last week. It's $318,000 we gave in one day, and, and the monies are still coming in. So we thank you, Lord. Can we just give a praise to the Lord for that? Amen. That is so fantastic. Smallest amount of people we've ever had, but gave more than we've ever given. I call that God's mathematics. I don't know else how to, uh, God's economy. I don't know how else to explain that. So thank you. And if we continue with a really, really strong year-end giving, uh, we can catch up or come very close to catching up. So I really got to thank you. And also thank you for many of you that showed up in our first annual turkey trot in this city of Austin. And there's some, some enthusiasts about running, and I guess I'm one of those. And so thank you. We had well over 100 people run the race, and uh, it was so fun. And, and many of you volunteered your time and took took a couple hours out of your Thanksgiving. So thank you. We were able to raise a few thousand dollars for Refuge Ministry, of the, a ministry for sex trafficking uh, minors. And so uh, we're uh, victims of that uh, horrible scourge on our nation. Please don't get me started. But anyhow, we were able to do just a little bit uh, to help out. So I just want to give you just a, a shout out and thank you so very much for your giving, for your serving, for your generosity. And this is our city. This is where God has placed us. We love our city. We're praying for it and doing everything we can to minister in the name of Jesus. So here we are in our, in our study of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is absolutely one of the most recognized stories in all of history and all of antiquity. It, it began really with a confrontation. 
There was a young man, a very bright expert in the law. When, you, when I read the text in a moment, it'll say lawyer. Don't think of attorney. Don't think of an, a, a modern-day lawyer. Think of someone who is a scribe, an expert in the Torah or in the Hebrew law. And that's the person that confronted Jesus. He was trying to test Jesus. He was trying to catch him, if you will, and to later on to justify himself. And yet Jesus answered him. He didn't get mad. He didn't get red in the face. He was very grace-based, very poor in spirit, and he shared a story. And it's a story that we have recorded, and we call it today, The Good the Good Samaritan. So what we'll do is we'll look at the text, and as I read it, be patient with me because I'm going to stop and just give some words of explanation, interpretation of the text. And then we're going to look at a, a painter, a man by the name of uh, Vincent van Gogh, a very famous uh, a painter born in the Netherlands, who uh, died in southern France around the turn of the century. We'll look at his life, and then we're going to look at a depiction, a painting that he created solely based on uh, our text today of this parable of the Good Samaritan. So we'll look at the text because that's the most important part, and then we'll look at the paint, painter, and then we'll look at the painting. And thank you, by the way. Many of you have encouraged me and expressed how much you were looking forward to this series of messages. I don't know that I've ever prepared as hard for a series of messages because it was so new to me. This whole art world, I've literally immersed myself uh, in studying reading uh, Leonardo da Vinci's biography last night. I still, things like this thick, you know, it weighs more than I do, but I'm reading it and I'm immersing myself into uh, this whole realm of art so that I can get into the mind and the heart of these artists and just kind of find out how, how they were inspired and how talented they were and how gifted they were. And the, what we're doing here at Great Hills is we're looking at some of these famous religious works of art and how they have impacted not only uh, their generation, but for generations, I believe, until Jesus comes. These, these pieces of art will speak to us so profoundly. So let's look at the text today. It's a great story, and we'll begin where Jesus begins there in Luke uh, 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, not attorney, right? Lawyer, scribe, teacher of the law. He stood up, and he tested Jesus. And by the way, that's never a good idea. That never turns out well. When you test and confront the Son of God, because he's just a whole lot smarter than you are or I am or anybody. But he tested Jesus and he said, hey, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Translation, how does a person go to heaven? In our nomenclature, how can I be saved? How can I know that when I die, I will go to be with God in heaven and Jesus said, well, he, Jesus is amazing. He, a lot of times he diffuses the confrontation with a question. He goes, well, what is written in the law? Remember, he's a lawyer. What is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, and by the way, he gave the answer of all answers. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But, this is very important. He, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself. He said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So let's stop there for just a moment and look at this passage of Scripture. 
this expert in the law, very disingenuous, very insincere, very combative, really, and confrontational, and he approaches Jesus with arrogance and with erudition and academia. I don't doubt he had all of that. Probably has a PhD in the law. And he comes to Jesus, and he, and he has this, uh, this, this question. You know, what shall I do to, to go to heaven? One writer puts it this way, as in the case of the rich young ruler, Jesus affirmed the law. The teaching of the law is very definitive. The way to eternal life, and listen to this, uh, our Robert Stein, this is a great answer. The teaching of the law is definitive. The way to eternal life is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. It is by grace, through a faith, that works in love. That is so good. You can sum up the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. James would say, yes, faith, but faith without works is dead. And so there's the answer. You love God, and when you really love God and know God, you can't help but love other people and love the things that God loves. So he gives a great answer. This answer, by the way, is recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's in Mark's gospel, and we're reading it today in Luke's gospel, but Jesus puts it on the lips of the scribe, the lawyer, when he gives the answer above all answers. In fact, if you're taking notes, it might be good to jot this down. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But he wanted to justify himself. What does that mean? I think what it means is <laughs> he wants to love the people he wants to love, and Jesus wants to stretch him to love everybody. And so he's trying to justify himself by saying, okay, well, I know what we teach as Jews. We teach that we love fellow Jews, and we sure don't love any Gentiles. And let me just go one step further. And we could never love those half-breeds. You're talking about a derogatory, pejorative, painfully horrible statement is to call somebody a half-breed. And that's what they referred to, the Samaritans. Because in 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in. They destroy the capital uh, of the northern kingdom, Samaria. They destroy it. And then the Assyrians come in and they take people from all races, all nations, and they put them in Israel. And those people intermarry with the population of Jews and the offspring and the posterity of that union were Samaritans, half-breeds. And the Jews, pure-blooded Jews, looked down upon those people as they would look down upon the Gentiles. And he doesn't love those people. And so he wants to justify himself basically in saying, I'm okay just in loving my fellow Jews, right? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> let, let, me just, let me just put it out there for you. Let, let me tell you a story. There was a man in verse 30. He, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest. Okay, someone who worked in the temple. He came down that road, and when he saw, why don't you look at that word with me for just a minute, the word saw, S-A-W. The Greek word is eido, E-I-D-O, and it means to perceive, 
to know. So it wasn't that he didn't really see him or he just happened, barely saw him. No, no, no. He saw him so in-depthly that he understood correctly that this man was in a very bad situation, okay? So he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. A religious man, a priest, a man of the cloth, a pastor, saw a man, beaten, bruised, left half for dead, and said, oh, excuse me, buddy, and I got I to gotta get on to the temple, or I got to get on to my business. Or I got to get to Jericho and see my other buddies because a lot of us priests lived there, you see. Which is true, by the way. They did. They lived in Jericho. Herod the Great built a palace there. It was a beautiful place, a climate that was very conducive for vacationing. And this priest had a place to go. He, he was getting off duty. He didn't have time to help people. He needed a vacation. You understand, right? Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place... He came and he ido. Interesting. Ido. Same Greek word. Translated here, looked. And it begins, we begin to understand that perception, that knowledge, that understanding. He looked and he saw him. And the Levite who helped the priest in the temple, the singers, the people of God, the Brother Terry's, the worship pastor passed on by the other side. So here you have Brother Danny, and he sees him, and he just says, excuse me, i got to go play golf, excuse me. And then Brother Terry's like, well, i got to go write another song, excuse me. And all the time there's this guy going, man, I'm about to die. Is anybody here going to help me? But Jesus says, but there's a hero, a Samaritan. Man, that, that lawyer's going, man, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And I can see Jesus just smiling and saying, oh, no, 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 stay, stay with me. Listen, there's a Samaritan. And he journeyed, and he came where he was, and he ido. Same Greek word. He saw him, he knew him, he perceived him, he understood his plight, and he had splekna on him. He had compassion to be viscerally, bodily moved. Moved to the point that you just can't keep walking. You've got to stop, and you've got you to do something to help that brother, that sister in need. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine on them and he set him on his own animal, his own horse or donkey. He brought him to a holiday inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two silver coins, church. He took out two, literally denarii is two days worth of pay for a common laborer. So it's two full days of pay. He took it out, he gave it to the innkeeper, and he said to him, take care of him. <laughs> and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. What a, what a, what a moving, riveting story. So let's just unpack this for just a little bit. I, again, Jesus tells the story. That between Jericho and Jerusalem is about 3,200, 3,300 feet. So Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho, 800 feet below sea level. And Jesus says a man is, is journeying, right? And he makes his way down from Jerusalem. And by the way, whenever you read the Bible, and you, the Jerusalem's always elevated. 
It's the city of God, not only spiritually, but literally physically. And many of you have been, and you notice you're on top. And so this man is journeying down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and even to this day, it is such a precipitous, dangerous climb. And, 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 and not too many years ago, they were still robbing people because you could hide out in the cliffs and the rocks, and it was so dangerous. People were so concerned about their footing, they weren't paying attention to a robber, a bandit, a thief who would come upon them and rob them, steal them, and, and take off. And, the, and Jesus is recreating this kind of a historical fiction. It probably really didn't happen, but it really could have happened. And Jesus is using all the right words and all the right scenarios so the point of the story could not be mistaken. So a priest, a descendant of Aaron, responsible for taking care of the temple, he comes. But as I said earlier, he's on his way to Jericho. He's going to hang out with his other priest buddies. He's going to pass by and not help him. And then the descendant of Levi who would assist the priest with the duties of the temple. He does the same thing, and he also passes by. And then here comes the hero of the story. It's a Samaritan church. It's, it's, I can't really capture for you. I mean, you could blow this guy over. You could wave a feather and blow him over because he is just like, what? A Samaritan? My buddies, the Jewish priest and the Levi, the pastor and the worship pastor, and they just walk right on by. And yet this homeless guy, if you will, this guy just come in off the street. I mean, you, you feel the derogatory. You, you feel the pejorative, the, just the castigation of, oh, it's a Samaritan. A Samaritan comes, and he becomes the hero of the story. Verse 34 and 35, this hated Samaritan put the priest and the Levite to shame by the way he treated the person in need. So Jesus now in verse 36, let's read this. As he drives the point home, the whole story, he asks this probing, convicting, penetrating question. So let me ask you, lawyer, Mr. Hotshot Lawyer. I know Jesus didn't say that. I'm, I'm saying that, but it would be very appropriate. So which of these three, who are the three? Priest, Levite, and the Samaritan. Which of these three do you think was neighbor? Because you asked me, right? You asked me earlier, who is my neighbor? Who do you think was neighborly to him who fell among the thieves? Now watch what he says. This is very interesting. And the lawyer said he can't say the word Samaritan. He's too dignified to say that. And so he would just say, well, I guess that guy. The, the guy that showed mercy on him. And Jesus was like, woohoo, Eureka, yep, buddy. Now you go and do likewise. Because your neighbor is anybody that has a need. It may be your competitor. It may be your enemy. It, it may be your literal, physical, next-door neighbor, but whoever your neighbor is, when they have a need, you have to meet it. So Vincent Van Gogh, he was a, an amazing artist, a painter. I read his biography a few weeks ago in preparation for just this sermon, and I'm going to probably do another Van Gogh painting, uh, probably be the last one. I read uh, William Havlicek's book, Van Gogh's Untold Journey. And I do recommend it. It's, it's a beautiful book. It has lots of his artwork in there. It's very graphic. It's very detailed about how he lived and how he died. 
Van Gogh was a brilliant man. He, he was an avid, voracious reader. His two favorite authors were Charles Dickens and Victor Hugo. Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities, and many other great writings. But Victor Hugo, you may not recognize his name, but I bet you recognize Les Mis, right? Uh, Hugh Jackman. John Valjean, is that his name, Leighton? Val John Valjean? And so... In fact, The Starry Night, which is his most famous painting of all, and I think we have a picture of it, I hope so, we'll, we'll show it up here, The Starry Night. Vincent van Gogh wrote or, or painted this from an insane asylum, a psychiatric ward, in 1899 in southern France, which sells for hundred and something million dollars today. It's at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. But he painted that, and guess who inspired him to paint it? It was the priest in Les Mis. Y'all remember Les Mis? The, the whole story when the guy comes in and he robs the priest, he takes away his jewelry and his, his goods, and, and the priest, his name is Father Benevu or Benvenu, something. I got it here. I just can't pronounce it too good. He says, oh, young man. Why are you returning all of this silver? I gave you that. You take that. That's not what happened. This man stole it. Jean Valjean stole it. And the authorities and the police are on him, and they're like, you're going back to debtor's prison. And the priest says, no, he's not going back to prison. I gave him this. He didn't stay. He lied. The priest is lying, but he saves this man's life. And Vincent van Gogh is so moved. By that story in Les Mis, he wrote, he painted that picture, The Starry Night. There's a whole lot more I could say about that, but that's not our main painting. Let's continue on, all right? Van Gogh was born March 30, 1853 in the Netherlands. He died at the age of 37, same age as Raphael that we looked at last week. But he died on June, July the 29th, 1890 in southern France. He shot himself, killed himself took his life. He battled, battled with depression. Uh, he cut his ear off in, a, in just kind of an, an insane act of madness. And after he cut his ear, almost cut his ear off, his friend said, Vincent, you, you, you're way beyond needing help. You, you, you got to get help. So he checked himself in to this insane asylum. That just breaks your heart, doesn't it? Somebody be that depressed and that discouraged and yet that brilliant. And he's in this Asylum, and they've got him barred in, and they've given him two rooms. He sleeps in this room, and in this room, he goes out and he looks out over southern France. I don't know if you, in the starry night, there was a picture of a church there, and there was other, other things in the community, and he, and he draws it. And he also, in that same setting, drew the parable of the Good Samaritan, the painting we're about to, to look at. What's so fascinating to me is this guy's dad was a pastor. His dad was a, was a faithful pastor in the Dutch Reformed Church in the Netherlands. He had six children. Uh, Vincent was named literally after a child that was stillborn, his brother that he never knew. He was best friends with Theo. Theo was his younger brother who died, by the way, when he was 33. Theo was married to Joanna... And Joanna and Vincent had a, had a sweet relationship. 
I mean, they, they, they were just good friends. And so Vincent would come over and stay with Theo and his wife, Joanna. And they, hey, they had a child, and it was just, he was an uncle. He was so happy for them. And if it were not for her, you and I would never have heard of Vincent Van Gogh because he was just totally anonymous. He was crazy, right? They said, that guy's just crazy. And he draws pretty good, but he's just crazy. And she goes, this world needs to know my brother-in-law. He was a genius. And so she collected all of his art, and through the years it's passed down, and that's how, that's how we have it today. Vincent became a pastor. Vincent Van Gogh was a pastor in Borneage, Belgium. And he served for a couple of years, and his congregation, they were miners. They were coal miners. And he would get right out there with the coal miners. And he would go down in the shafts with them, and he would preach to them and love on them and encourage them. And, and when they would get sick, he, he was never married. He, Vincent Van Gogh never got married. And so he was just married to his church and he just loved his congregation and he would serve them. In fact, he took one minor into his home and for two months, every day, he nursed him back to health. The religious authorities came to Belgium and they said, Vincent Van Gogh is not a very good speaker. We don't like the way he dresses. And we think he has undignified the office of the pastor by hanging out with the low life. And so they fired him. And when they fired him, something happened in his psyche. He was already borderline depressed. He was already unstable. But once they terminated him, he really fell off the deep end. Havlicek writes these words, A transformed and enlightened Vincent emerged with a more worldly view yet no less gospel-minded. His vocation had evolved from preacher now to painter, but his motivation to serve humankind remained intact. He went to visit his parents. He didn't get along very well with his parents, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But he would go when his mom was sick, and he nurtured her back to health. He was always taking care of people. In fact... One of the reasons him and his dad didn't get along is because he brought in a prostitute into his house. Her name was Sin. That's how you pronounce it. S-E-I-N, but you pronounce it Sin. I got that pronunciation right, but I have a hard time with some of these other words, but I do get that one right. Sin came to, she was pregnant, prostitute, off the street. He brought her into his own home, and for two years, she lived with him. And all the stigma that goes with that, and his pastor father's like, oh, my word, son, you're bringing disgrace to my name and to our family. And so he didn't care. He just, he nurtured her back to health and she left. He's always nurturing and helping people. And this is what he said. I believe that the more one loves, the more, the more one will act. And I'm quoting Van Gogh here. For the love that is only a feeling I would never recognize as love. But so far, I have never thought all of what I was doing was foolish or wrong at all. I think it's so natural and right that I cannot understand people being so indifferent to each other in general. I've always believed that love thy neighbor as thyself is no exaggeration, but a normal condition, so be it, end of quote. This is from his biography. So he, unfortunately, um, during his depression and his anxiety, he turned to alcohol. 
And for four years, he basically stayed in a drunken stupor. And he would paint some, but mainly he was just trying to anesthetize his troubled soul. And I, and my heart just breaks for him because I wonder if, if, if he could have seen a good Dr. Miller maybe today. Or if he could have gotten some medication that, that we have prevalent today. I wonder if his life could have been spared. Because this man was so gifted and yet he was incredibly troubled. And a lot of times you see that. These really gifted artists or, or gifted mathematicians or gifted scientists or gifted historians, whatever, that they're prodig prodigious, they're prodigy mind, but they're just a, just a variance away from insanity. And that's exactly what I see here with Vincent van Gogh. So let's talk about the painting, the painting itself. Now I'm going to put a big word on y'all just to show you that I've done my homework, but don't be too impressed because here it is. He was a post-impressionist painter. Isn't that good? He was a post-impressionist painter. And what does that mean? Here's what it means. You take vivid colors, thick application of the paint, and create this real-life subject matter. Keep that in mind when you see the painting in a moment. This style, quote, also is more inclined to emphasize geometric forms, distort the form for expressive effect. Keep that in mind. Post-impressionists are outstanding at this, at distorting the... Do you remember the starry night? Did y'all see the stars? You said, that didn't look like a star. Well, it did, but it didn't, right? And that's post-impressionism. That's, that's how they painted. More inclined to emphasize geometric forms, distort form for impressive or expressive effect and use unnatural or arbitrary color, end of quote. So keep in mind, when he, when he paints this, um, he's, he's, he's painted the starry night, which would become what he's world famous for today. But he also paints this, and I want to show it to you. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want you to just kind of take it in with me for just, just a moment. Let me, let me let you look at it for a moment. A French romantic painter by the name of Eugene Delacroix had painted something that looked very much like, like this painting here. You see the post-impression features, right? The distorted forms, the bright, vivid colors. But in Delacroix's painting, all of these events that we're going to talk about on the left were here on the right. And Vincent van Gogh says, no, let's, let's put them over here and let's interpret what Jesus was saying. First of all, there's a priest there's a priest whose back is turned to a man who's desperately in need. And then there's a Levite. Can y'all see him? There's a Levite right here also. By the way, the Levite, he's over here too. Look, there's the Levite. He's, uh, he also has his back turned toward the man who's in such need. But does anybody, did anybody notice this? Isn't that interesting? It's an open box. And I think Delacroix and, and, and Van Gogh placed it there because when your box is open, maybe your heart is open and your hands are open. It's this whole open mentality, and you'll do something like what this does. But if your box is closed, your heart's closed, your hands are closed, you'll do what this guy does. So this, this open box is reflective of this man, not these two men. So, 
pretty nice stallion, pretty nice steed. Van Gogh and Delacroix felt like it was more than a donkey. It was a stallion, a steed, okay? And here's the good Samaritan. And he's helping the, the fellow that, that's hurt. He's already, you all see this right here? He's already bandaged his head. Now he's placing him upon his own horse or mule or whatever that is. And he's going to transport him to the Holiday Inn. And then he's going to go way above and beyond. He's going to say, okay, here, here's the deal, guy. I want you to take care of this guy. I don't know who he is, but I just know he has a need. He's, he's, a, great, he's a great need. He's been beat up, left half for dead. I found him on the side of the road. And so here he is. Take him and take good care of him. I, I still got to go on my journey. But when I come back, whatever, whatever he puts, put it on my tab. If he needs room service, give him room service. If he wants to order the cheeseburgers and the Diet Cokes and the shakes, just go ahead and let him have it. Because whatever the guy charges, when I come back through, you can put it on my account. And I'm going to pay for it. Complete stranger. Jesus said, and who was neighborly to this man? And surely it was this guy. So here's a few takeaways I have for you in closing the message today. Just four or five things, and I think I have these in your, in your outline of the sermon today. The first thing I want to share with you is Jesus is amazing. He really is, he is the good Samaritan. He is the one who practiced what he preached. He, he, in Matthew 9, 38, it says that Jesus Christ was moved with the same Greek word that is describing the Good Samaritan. He's moved with the splakna, with compassion. So Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to rescue and to redeem and to lay down his life, to go far and beyond and to, to die a death, a cruel death on a cross so that you and I, bandaged and, and beaten and, and bruised, so that we could be restored back to God and have eternal life. The whole story, to me, focuses on the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And John puts it this way. He says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, before I read this next verse, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. So we had a little uh, football game in our home. It's called the Iron Bowl. And it's awful because Alabama just beat the tar out of my Auburn Tigers yesterday. And so I'm glad Baylor won. I'm glad A&M won. I'm glad UT won. But I'm really sad that we did not win. We just didn't win. We just got killed. We got beat bad. Anyhow, my wife's all excited. She, she said, while you're out, why don't you go get us some pizza and she goes, my favorite pizza is brick oven pizza, and go pick it up for us, and we'll have a, a, bowl, a, a party. And we had a bunch of people over, had a great time. So I'm going to pick up the pizza. And I kid you not, this happened to me yesterday. And I'm pulling in, and there's this family on the side of the road. Anybody else see them? There's a mom, a dad, and three kids. And I'm like, what, what in the world? And they're just standing there, and they have a sign. And so I didn't get to read the sign, but I got the idea and I was going to get my pizza. And then the Holy Spirit started talking to me. And I was like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> and this verse came to my mind. I already had prepared to talk about it today. So I go in and I get my brick oven pizzas. And I said, ma'am, if you could help me and take some of the pizzas out of these boxes and put it in another box. 
because I think the Lord wants me to go and help this family. And she looked at me and she goes, excuse me? I said, yeah, there's a... I said, oh, excuse me. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of that big church right across the street. Do you see it over there? She said, yeah. And this is what she said. She looked at me and she said, you're, you're trying to practice what you're preaching. I said, yes, ma'am. I, I guess you could say that. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And then she just started opening up to me. She started talking, talking about her life and... And if she ever gets a Sunday off, she goes, I, I know the church I'm going to visit. And it's your church. It's that church across the street. And she's worked there for 20 years. I said, do you own this joint? She said, no. She said, I, just, I just work here. So I take my pizza and I, I put it into the separate box. And I'm hoping that they're still out there. And they were. And I kid you not, I rolled down the window. I gave them the pizza. God bless you. And as I drove off, I heard the little boy say, Wow, pizza! Pizza! And then I read this verse. And I read it to Kathy yesterday, the lady at Brick Oven. I said, this is my sermon for tomorrow. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, which means, hey, have a good day. God bless you. I'll pray for you. But let us love in deed and in truth. Number two, open hearts have open hands. Again, the box tells us all of this. The open box, when the need presents itself, what is in our hearts will be revealed by the posture of our hands. I don't have many original thoughts, but let me give you that one again. The condition of our heart will be manifested in the posture of our hands. If our hands are closed, our heart's closed. If our hands are open, then our hearts are open. Like that chest, that money chest that was flung wide open represents the heart of the Good Samaritan. Number three, our neighbor is anybody that has a need. Anybody. Maybe your enemy. Maybe your competitor. Think of the race we saw earlier on. It may be your next door neighbor. You know what I, I think, guys? I think God will allow us to come in contact with people who have need so that our hearts could be tested so that we could really see for ourselves the condition of our spirituality. Now, I know you can't help everybody, and I get that. And, and, and I know you can't help everybody. You can help somebody. You can help somebody. Number three, our neighbors, anyone who has a need. Number four, and I learned this from, from one of our church members here. Fred taught me this when he said, walk toward people, not away from them. When someone's in need, walk toward them. He said, a good friend is somebody that walks toward you when other people are walking away from you. And the Levite and the priest, they literally turn their backs and they walk away from the man in need. And the good Samaritan walks toward him. A pastor friend of mine here in the city, John Burke, taught me this as well. He said, when I go home and I open up my garage door, he said, all I want to do is get in my garage, close the door, and just let, let, just let me have my peace. You know, let me be it quiet. But he said now he's learning that when a neighbor, he sees a neighbor in, in the yard or a neighbor in the neighborhood, he says instead of walking into his house and closing the door, he walks out of his house and he walks toward his neighbor. 
And by the way, some beautiful things can happen when you do that. When you just walk towards someone, how are you doing? Start a conversation, talk to them. And the last thing I'll share with you today is be open and available to help because you never know when God will give you the opportunity to help somebody else. Maybe you're here today and your heart has been warmed and moved by the story, by Van Gogh's painting, and your heart is closed, your, your spirit is closed to the things of God and to helping other people. My, my encouragement for you today would be this, would just take a step toward the Lord Jesus Christ and look at his life and, and just be enamored with him, be, be, um, be amazed by him and study him and then worship him. For the very first time, I would invite you to open up your heart to Jesus Christ and say, I want what he was. I want what he is. And I want Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior so that my heart has changed. And my spirit is warm. And so that when I, when I see people in need and when I know there's, a, there's something I need to do, I, I want to have the wherewithal to say no to myself because I can't do that very good right now. And if you don't know Christ, you really can't do that very well. You can help some, but you cannot be the person God's created you to be because self is on the throne. But let Jesus come on the throne and it will amaze you what you can do. You will give, you will help, you will serve, you will do everything in your power, and you'll go, what in the world? What, who am I? That is not me. And that would be Jesus in you, living in, in you. So let me encourage you, take that step toward the Lord. Others of you here today, you do know the Lord. And, and this passage of Scripture, it, 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 it messes with you, doesn't it? it? You're wrestling with it, and, and you think of missed opportunities, and I do too. And so let's just say this. Let's say, Lord, forgive us. The times we missed it, and, and help us, Lord, to help us to do better. How, how about that? Just help me do better. When I see a need, God, help me to help another person. Others of you here today, and you need to be a part of a community of faith, a church, and we invite you to come, be a part of Great Hills, become a member of our church. Let me, let me be your pastor. I'd be honored to be your pastor, and I can, I can teach you the Word of God. I can be very vulnerable with you and show you times when I don't do the things that I should do. And I have many of those, but thank you, Jesus, yesterday for the brick oven pizza. Amen. It's almost like God was like, hello, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I was like, oh, goodness, this is an opportunity for me to help. You got time for one more, just real quick story? Hey, when A&M went into 18 overtimes last night, Nobody complained, right? I don't know about you, but I was like, I was out. I was like six overtimes. I passed out. I was so tired. But had it been my Auburn Tigers playing, man, I would have been up and re looking at it, you know. So when church goes a little overtime, don't get too mad. And so <laughs> just, just take just a minute, just, just a moment. Because I almost missed this. And I was very tempted not to do the right thing. You say, oh, come on, Pastor. You, surely you did the right thing. Well, here's what happened. Last week we went to the Spirit Fest, and, and there was really one guy that I wanted to hear more than anybody. It's Danny Gokey, all right? He has a great first name, by the way. So I'd, I'd wanted to, to meet him, and I would love to meet him. I didn't think there was any chance I could meet him. 
But I love his music and his story. If you remember his story, he was on American Idol. He came in third place in 2009. Four weeks before he auditioned, his wife died of, um, of surgery complications. And so it's a beautiful story. He's remarried and, and doing great. And, um, and so I'm out in the parking lot because I moved my car from way over here to closer. And Ashley's with me, and I'm in a hurry. I can hear Danny Gokey singing. So I'm running, and there's this guy with his hood open. And he just looks like he's, the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And his girlfriend is standing beside him, and they're just like this, looking at their dead battery. And I was like, that's just too bad. I just kept going. I just said, man, I hope the Lord bless them, help them. But Danny Gokey's on the road, man, I hear him. And so I just went right by him, and I, I parked. And in order for me to get from the parking lot to the stadium, I had to walk literally right by this guy. And it was bothering me. And so I, I walked, I actually walked past him. And he's still standing there like this, the weight of the world's on his shoulders. And I got about five steps past him, and I stopped. I could hear Danny go get thinking. And I was torn. You just get over it, preacher. Do the right thing for heaven's sake. Go help that guy. And don't worry about listening to How about you, you little angelic being? What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? Would you just say, man, let me help? And so I said, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. And I went on to the concert. No, I'm just kidding. I did the right thing. <laughs> I turned around and Ashley, she was with me. And y'all know me. I can't do anything with these hands. But I know how to jump off a vehicle, right? So I hot-wired it. No, I'm just kidding. I took the cables, and, and a lady, she came out of nowhere. And her husband had these jumper cables. She said, he just put these in my car. I said, well, let's do this. And so we connected the two of them. He fired it up, and, and I was like, radiant light. I could hear Danny Gokey still singing. I was like, okay, brother, bless you. And my wife wanted to talk to him. I was like, oh, please. <laughs> please, go, go, go his concert. And Ashley's like, do y'all have a church home? And I was thinking, oh, man, I should have asked them that, you know. And, and they said, no, we don't. In fact, we're looking for a church. And then I got excited. I was like, well, wait a minute. I said, you're looking for a church? And Ashley had already beat me to it. She's giving them cards, inviting them to church. The other, lady, she was, and the other lady that helped, the Good Samaritan, Ashley turned to her and said, how about you, ma'am? Do you have a church? She goes, oh, yeah, I'm good. I, I got a church. I, I go right over here to, to this church. And Ashley says, okay, that's good. And we wrapped it up. And we went on the concert, ended up being on the stage with Danny Gokey about from here to you, Eric. I'm watching him. Eric's about on the fifth row there. And I'm watching Danny Gokey, and I'm like, this is really cool. And I listened to all the songs that I wanted to listen to. And then I was leaving. Guess who came right in front of me, face to face with me? It was Danny Gokey. And I was like, hey. He's like, hey. I said, can I get my picture with you? He said, sure. And I said, oh, my name's Danny, too. He goes, hello, Danny. And he puts his arm around me, got my picture made with him. And then a whole bunch of people did. And what was so cool about him is he let every person who wanted a picture get their picture with him. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. So. God is good. God is good to me. I'm very grateful. So, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, challenging us. And, Lord, please help us just do the right. Do the right thing when it's not easy. Forgive me, Lord, many times. 
when I do pass on by and I, and I don't say or I don't do the right thing, all of us, Lord, I think we all could confess that. But, Lord, this day or this week, show us our one. Show us our person in need that we can help. We can give a cup of cold water. We can buy them a meal. We can help them out financially. But most of all, we can talk to them spiritually about you and about church and about heaven. And, and so help, help us all, Lord, to just do a little bit better. Lord, we love you. We love our church. We thank you, God, for your grace and provision for us. We pray now for our invitation that you would bless according to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand to your feet. God bless you as you stand. We'll sing a song of invitation. I invite you to come if you have a need, a prayer, and you want to come to the altar. Would you like to unite with our church? You'd like to give your life to the Lord? Whatever your decision is, we invite you to, to come.